how does a rabbi from an obscure place create a movement that lasts years beyond his death? Not just dozens of years, hundreds of years, thousands of years. How does a refugee who spent most of his life poor and oppressed, who was executed by the state, resonate with us still today? Why? Well, I want to tell you, it's Jesus. And Jesus, even if you don't believe in his divinity, profoundly altered history. See, I like to think it's because Jesus was radical. Now, Jesus had a doctrine of radical love that he taught. He taught people to love their enemies. He taught people to love their neighbor. He taught people to love no matter what. And his teachings flew in the face and were countercultural, not only in his day, but in our day. Jesus is still countercultural. And make no mistake about it, Jesus is a radical. His teaching is radical. His life was radical. What he did was radical. What his followers did in the years and millennia after has been radical. So the last few weeks, we've been looking at it in a series called Who Is This Man? And in the first week, we learned that Jesus was a radical when it came to the sick, the handicapped, and children. He treated people whose society had lowered to a point of less than human. He treated them with equal dignity of every other person. And we learned last week that Jesus' movement elevated women, elevated women in a way that was unheard of in the ancient world and is still controversial even now in many places. And today we're gonna look at another way that Jesus was radical, how he taught and acted about social injustice and how we can follow his example. Where were you when you first heard the words, I can't breathe. Well, those words and the subsequent killing of George Floyd at the hands of police officers in Minneapolis set off a powder keg of racial tension across this country and it exploded. Now, in some ways, it was really positive. Across the globe, people united in protest and they had their voices heard. But in other ways, it wasn't so great. There were destructive forces at play of people coming out, looting, destroying, vandalizing, and even being violent against police officers and other citizens. That was the dark side of what happened. I'll never forget what it looked like when this civil unrest, this social injustice came to San Antonio. On May 30th, there were protests downtown in San Antonio. And I gotta be honest, I was proud of my city. It was a diverse group of people from all walks of life that came together to have their voices heard. But as the day turned to night, something darker started to happen. A more destructive, a more darker force was at play. See, people that stayed around began to congregate and get angry. They began to become, become agitated. And some people started to smash windows of businesses, graffiti public monuments and other things. And they even got violent. And so because this crowd was angry and agitated, the police came in in riot gear to counter them and disperse the crowd. And this led to a conflict and a lot of tension. I'll never forget where I was that night, lying in bed, watching a Facebook live feed of all of this craziness happening. I saw the vandalism. I saw the broken glass. I saw the looting. I saw the destruction. I saw fear. I saw smoke. I saw police officers. I saw darkness. And as I went to bed that night, I couldn't help but think, what's going on? See, my heart was broken. 
I said, this isn't San Antonio. This isn't my city. This isn't who we are. Well, how did you react to the summer of civil unrest and the rising of racial tension in our country? Now, for some people, you might say, why do we always have to be talking about race? When are we gonna be done with this? For some of you, you're just confused. You don't even know what people want. Why are they protesting? What are they even trying to accomplish? And others of you are thinking, when are we gonna be past this? It's been hundreds of years since slavery. It's been 50 plus years since the civil rights movement. When are we gonna stop talking about this? Now, for others of you, you have quite the opposite view. You're thinking, when are we gonna start really talking about this? Why has this just gone away? Why isn't this still an issue? Well, no matter where you fall on that spectrum, it's an important teaching that Jesus had about social injustice and what we can do now, today. Because this racial tension, it's not going anywhere. It's gonna be around for a while. This social injustice that's been around for a long time, again, it's not going anywhere. It's staying with us. And as followers of Jesus, this should be something that's important to us because social injustice was important to Jesus. It was something that he cared deeply about and his movement worked for years to undo so many different social injustices in our society and to make the world a better place. But when we look back at history, the church and followers of Jesus haven't always gotten this one right. We've struggled. In fact, sometimes we've enabled and allowed some horrific things to happen, whether it's slavery, segregation, or systemic racism, the church has often stood idly by or even justified these systemic injustices, these darknesses, these evils, justified it with Jesus's own words. But we can't do that anymore. We can't turn away. And we need to own what we've done, church. We need to call a sin a sin and say, yes, the church did that and we need to learn from it and we need to get better and we need to reconcile and learn to move on because this isn't just history, this is now. This is happening all across the world, it's happening in our cities and this conversation isn't going anywhere. So how should we respond? What are we supposed to do? Well, I've seen a lot of things that haven't worked. I've seen inflammatory social media posts. I've seen crazy, divisive, polarizing rhetoric. I've seen people, people that I know, people that I love, people that I care about, post conspiracy theories that are distracting from the real wrongs that are going on. I've seen truth called fake news and fake news called truth. That's not what we have to do. We gotta do something different. So how should we, as followers of Jesus, respond to social injustice? And if he was here now, what would Jesus himself do about it? That was a question that the Jewish people had too. If we look back 2000 years ago, they were asking the same questions of Jesus. What are you going to do? Because the Jewish people were oppressed. Israel was oppressed. They were the victims of social injustice. See, they were ruled by the Roman empire, but the Roman empire allowed the Israeli people, the, the Jewish people to govern themselves. And the leaders of Israel, the spiritual and political leaders, they exploited and oppressed their own people. They pushed injustice on the lowest, the poorest of the poor, and pushed them in ways that they never should. 
They were experiencing this injustice. And this is the situation that Jesus walks into. So he walks into this situation, he starts teaching, and they say, we've never heard anybody teach like this. And then he starts doing miracles, and they say, we've never seen anybody with power and authority like this. They start to recognize that Jesus could be the Messiah. He could be the Son of God, the conquering King that they were waiting for, and they started to believe in him. And here's what the Jewish people thought. They thought that the Messiah, the conquering king, would ride into town, ride into the temple and take over. He would overthrow the Roman government, overthrow the corrupt Jewish government, the leaders, the wealthy, the powerful that were oppressing people. He thought they'd overthrow them all and begin to rule the earth right there. They were expecting a warrior king. Listen to what the prophet Zechariah said about the king who had set Israel free. This is what he writes, but I will encamp at the temple to guard it against marauding forces. Never again will an oppressor overrun my people. For now I am keeping watch. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. And it's with these words in mind that near the end of his life, Jesus entered Jerusalem for the final time at Passover. Now we celebrate this in something called Palm Sunday. It's the coming of a conquering king. And that's what the Jewish people were celebrating. See, they expect him to enter the temple and to take over at that point and overthrow everything. But they missed an important part of the prophecy. See, Zechariah goes on and this is what he writes. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. See, when a king came riding a horse and he came to your city, he came to your town, when you saw a king on a horse, it meant he was coming to bring war. But when you saw a king on a donkey, it meant that he was coming to bring peace. And that's exactly what Jesus was coming to bring, peace. But don't get confused. Jesus wasn't coming to bring, let's hug everybody, sing kumbaya peace. No, no, no. See, we get peace wrong. We think of peace as the absence of conflict, but Jesus and the Jewish people would have thought of it as something much more. They would have thought of it of the pre- as the presence of something more significant. They would have called it something like shalom. Shalom, which is making things whole, which is bringing everything back and restored. But there's a better definition of shalom. Shalom is making things right, everything made right. A complete restoration made whole. So how do you bring that kind of peace? Justice. You bring that peace with justice. That's the opposite of injustice. And in its simplest form, justice is making wrongs right. Justice is making wrongs right. And that's how you have peace. It's a restorative process where everything is made right and everyone is made whole. It's complete. But this is critical for then and it's critical for now. You can't have peace without justice. You have to have justice to have peace. And Jesus' first act when he entered Jerusalem for that Passover celebration as a conquering king was to go to the temple and protest injustice. In the book of Mark, it says, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, 
Is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. Jesus came to make that wrong right. He came to bring justice in his house. And he called out the systems of oppression. He called out the rich and powerful that were hurting the Jewish people, that were hurting the poorest and most marginalized at the fringes of society. It's injustice. And Jesus speaks truth to power in this moment. That's what he did. So what exactly was going on in the temple? Well, let me explain a little bit about what it is. See, if you do have a church background, what happened is you've heard this story and you've heard it maybe presented as Jesus was upset because people were selling things in the house of God. A place that was holy was turned into a place of commerce. Now, I've heard it like that too, but that's not what was going on. See, the temple was the center of the community. It wasn't just a place for religious life. It was a place for political life and economic life. So there were always things being sold in the temple. There were always people there. That's not what Jesus was protesting. Now, Jesus was protesting something very specific. Let me start with the money changers. See, the money changers were there because people, when they came for Passover, they paid a half a shekel tax. They paid a tax to the temple and every Jewish person paid this tax, but they had to pay it in a very specific kind of currency. So you can imagine people traveling from all over the known world at that point to this temple. They had to change their money into the right kind of money to pay this tax. And it was very specific. And a lot of people were used to bartering at that point. But see, money changers were a necessary service as part of the temple's act of worship. Paying that tax was an important part of religious worship. And it was similar for those who were selling doves. See, animal sacrifices... I gotta be honest, that seems weird to us, right? That's not something that we would ever think about in the context of our worship. But back then that was normal. Animal sacrifices were a part of worship and doves were the only thing that the poorest people could afford. They couldn't afford big oxen, they couldn't afford other animals. So doves were the most common sacrifice for the Jewish people. And so they're there selling these things so that people can worship properly. And the people were excited to be able to worship properly at the temple. But here's the thing, the money changers and the dove sellers were ripping people off. They were charging them outrageous prices to change their money. They were taking a big chunk of it. And when they were trying to buy doves, they mark up the prices beyond what they could pay. They were predatory. They were exploiting the poor and people who couldn't do anything else and driving them further into poverty. As an example of today, this still happens. There are lenders who are predatory, who target people with bad credit or people who are poor and charge them crazy amounts of interest. There are other folks who take advantage in business deals of folks with little financial literacy or understanding or knowledge of what they're signing up for and what they're doing. They were overcharging people and they were taking advantage of the poor. This was a double bad. Not only was this unjust, this was injustice. They were committing this injustice against the poorest people, against the least, the people who needed the most help. And it's driving them further into poverty and Jesus was not having it. And I wanna point this out. 
Jesus wasn't protesting the specific vendors. He wasn't protesting Tom the dove seller or Joe the money changer. He was protesting the system that allowed these kinds of businesses to thrive and flourish in the temple and make the rich richer and the poor poorer. Jesus was standing off against systemic injustice. He was going against oppression. See, the temple had become this big moneymaker where the wealthy got more wealthy and the poor got more poor. They were exploiting people and that was not okay. They were taking advantage of them. The temple was corrupt. We call it corruption. That's what injustice looks like. So Jesus was taking on this system of power and it's why he was so angry and reacted the way that he did. So what did Jesus actually do? Well, to understand what Jesus did, you have to understand a little bit more about what the temple looked like and you might not know. All right, so the temple, it was big and it was divided into sections. This happened in a place called the Court of the Gentiles, which was a large open space where people were coming and going all the time. It's kind of where everybody who passed through the temple went through. So if you want a modern equivalent, think of the outside of the AT&T Center before a Spurs game, or think of like the Pearl Market on a day where there's a farmer market. It's hustle bustle. There's people going everywhere. And Jesus goes to that part of the temple where the vendors are, where the dove sellers and the money changers are, and he creates chaos. He turns over tables, he flips over stands, he stops people from moving merchandise and going from here to there, and he drives them out of the temple. He's sending a message to these leaders. Injustice is not okay. It's not okay to exploit the, the least of these to make yourself more wealthy. Make no bones about it, people. This was a act of protest. It was a disruptive act of protest. He inconvenienced everyone, even innocent people who had nothing to do, to it, do with it because he was protesting a huge wrong, this kind of in, injustice. It's similar to some of the modern protest tactics you see, like blocking a crowded street or even making sure a business doesn't get their merchandise. He was cutting off the supply of part of the problem. They were taking advantage of the poor, even though money changing and dove selling were legitimate, what they were doing with it was exploiting the poor and that's injustice. He wasn't having that. He wasn't doing that. But I wanna make another point very clear. This wasn't violent. See, when John writes about a similar incident of clearing the temple, he talks about Jesus with a whip, whoosh, whoosh, driving out the animals and moving people. But I want to say this, he wasn't whipping people. He was just using it to drive out the animals. He was just using it to create tension. He was just using it to create a scene. He was never violent, but it was controversial. It was very controversial. See, this made the religious leaders ultimately make the decision to kill Jesus. This act of protest. So ultimately, what led to Jesus's death was an act of protest against injustice. He got killed because he protested social injustice. So I want us to learn from Jesus's example on how to protest injustices in a way that honors God and honors people. There's three key things for you and I to take away that we can do to protest now and learn from Jesus's example in the story. 
One thing it shows us is how to protest. Jesus gives us an example. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. And the right way is always nonviolent, always nonviolent. See, the great civil rights leader, Martin Luther King, that so many people look up to, that so many people revere, he had principles of protest. He had parts of protest that he taught people, that he held on to for how he could move forward that part of the civil rights movement. And he taught people how to protest the right way. And he was inspired by Jesus. See, he took some of the tactics from Gandhi, but his theological base, the philosophy, the why behind the protest came directly from the scriptures. It came from Jesus. And so some of these principles that he unpacks are incredible. First is nonviolence. He calls it breaking the chain reaction of evil. When you meet wrong, when you meet evil with right, when you meet it with light, when you meet it with goodness and nonviolence, you break the chain reaction of evil. The other thing Martin Luther King talked about is that the purpose of the protest was not to humiliate your opponent, not to humiliate the people who stood against you, but, whether to win, but rather to win their friendship and understanding because we're all in this together. It doesn't help to push somebody away. It doesn't help to alienate people. That's not what he was trying to do. He wanted to win friendship and understanding with what he was doing. Martin Luther King was anti-cancel culture. We just don't throw people away because they disagree with us and we don't protest in a way that pushes them further away. We protest in a way that respects people but stands against the problem. That's what it means to protest. And he goes on, it's, it's about protesting the wrong, not the person. The person is a victim of this injustice just like you are because injustice takes something from us. If it doesn't take our money, it takes a part of our soul. It corrupts us spiritually. So we're not standing against people. We're not standing against flesh and blood. We're standing against systems of oppression and systems of injustice. It's the wrong, not the person. And like most people in our world, anybody that we're protesting are like the money changers or the dove sellers. They might not even understand how bad what they're participating is in the last piece that he talked about was being motivated by love. See, it's not enough just to be nonviolent outside, not to resort to physical violence outside, but not to resort to what he called soul violence. Because if you don't physically harm someone, but you learn to hate them, that's just as bad. And that's a Jesus teaching right there. We are motivated by love, not physical violence, not soul violence, but love. So every good protest is motivated by love. We stand against a problem, we're nonviolent, and we don't humiliate anybody. We don't cancel anybody. Instead, we seek to win the friendship and understanding of people who may not agree with us, but that's okay. And I wanna say, when we think of protest now, we think of just marching. We think of picketing, maybe we think of boycotting, but protest isn't just marching. That's not what protest looks like. See, protest is an action expre expressing disapproval or an objection to something. It's any action that expresses disapproval against a corrupt system. It's any action that expresses disapproval against an unjust system. It's fighting injustice. So protest can look like a lot of things. And we protest social injustice here at City Church, specifically economic injustice and poverty. See, we give generously. 10% of everything you give here at City Church goes to our social action partners. And that's an act of protest. 
10% goes to Casa Ogar to help kids in Mexico. 10% goes to Liberia now to help kids in Liberia. 10% goes to Strong Foundation to help homeless families here in San Antonio. A percentage of that just went to Feed SA and the San Antonio Food Bank because people have been hit harder than ever by COVID-19 and the economic fallout that's coming for it. They have to feed 120,000 families a week. So when you give generously, that's an act of protest against a system that would allow children and seniors and veterans and people to go hungry. When you give generously, it's an act of protest that says, that's not okay and I'm doing something about it. We also protest when we serve passionately. We protest when we get up and we do something about the wrongs that we see and we say, I'm not gonna let that go. We bring justice when we try to make the wrongs right. And there are so many ways that you can serve here at City Church. There's a social action Facebook group where so many opportunities are there because some of you are there going, okay, let's go, let's protest, let's do something about it. Let's make this world a better place. Check out this group. There are opportunities to serve all the time there and it's ways for you to get out and do something. For some of you, you can't do that. Right? You can't get out for whether it's because you have kids at home or whether because you don't have transportation or whether because you're concerned because you're immunocompromised or particularly vulnerable. That's okay. There are other ways to do it. There are ways that, do, that means you don't have to get out of the house. There are other ways to protest by passionately serving and generously giving. Second point. Jesus also shows us what to protest, not just how to protest, what to protest. And let me tell you what he did. He saw the wrong, he let it wreck him, and he did something about it. Sometimes Pastor Brent talks about letting what wrecks God wreck you. What upsets Jesus, what makes Jesus angry should make us angry too. So Jesus gives us a model of doing it. We see the wrong. And I wanna tell you, sometimes it's easy not to see the wrong. We live in an insulated world where we have our phones and our computers and we just stay in our world and we could shut out everything that's bad, shut out everything that's not good. But I wanna ask you to see the wrong. And you don't have to look far, just open your eyes. Open your eyes and where you are because you're at the place that you are for a reason. You live at the time you are for a reason. You have the personality and spiritual gifts you have for a reason. You have the passion you have for a reason. And it might be to confront these wrongs, but see, you have to see the wrong. You have to let it wreck you. Let it hurt you. Let you get as, be as angry as Jesus did. When he stepped in that temple and he got angry, he let the wrong wreck him and then he did something about it. So when you see the wrong and you let it wreck you, you let it emotionally impact you, then you do something about it. And you don't have to build a home for every orphan in the world. You don't have to adopt every kid. Just do one act of justice. Make one wrong right in your world. That's what we're here to protest. Now, I've seen, and I mentioned it earlier, I've seen people just posting and proliferating and going in on conspiracy theories like crazy. And I want to tell you, conspiracy theories aren't helping. They aren't things that are allowing the real wrongs to be made right. Because a lot of times these conspiracy theories revolve around real wrongs, but it's not a real way to make it right. We gotta choose real wrongs and real ways to make it right. That's how we fight injustice. So Jesus shows us what to protest, how to protest, and he also shows us why we protest. 
We protest because we are here to do what he was here for. We are his hands and feet here on the earth. We are here to bring justice. We are here to make wrongs right. We're here to make wrongs right. And nothing matters more to God than his people. Property is never more important than people. Never, ever, ever. Even this temple, this temple that there are hundreds of pages and verses of scripture devoted to the building of that had to be built to exact specifications that had to be built perfectly, that involved gold, that involved the best timber from everywhere, right? This temple that they created that was opulent and incredible and very detailed and intricate, you are more important. Every single person is more important than that temple because real injustice is what happens to people. That's what Jesus cared about. That's why we protest. We want to make wrongs done against our brothers and sisters. We want to make them right. Not even because they deserve it, but because we love. Because they are made in God's image. And he says, what you do to one another, what you do to the least of these, you do to me. So we stand up for people that can't stand up for themselves because people matter. That's why Jesus cleared the temple. The temple can be rebuilt if God wanted it to be rebuilt, but instead he loves us. He taught that radical love because people are the most important thing. That's why we protest. That's why we seek justice. It's why we try to make wrongs right. And if you've never heard this before, I wanna tell you, Jesus cleared the temple for you. Not humanity in general, I mean you. You sitting at home right now. Jesus cleared the temple for you. He came to fight injustice. He came to fight the ultimate evil, death and separation from God for you. That's what Jesus showed up to do. And he tried to make it as easy as possible for you to get that and understand it. He came with grace, not because we deserve it, but because he had to make the wrong right. And that's why he died on a cross. That's why he did it. He did it for you and you matter more than anything else. You are a masterpiece. So if you've never believed in this Jesus, if you've never said, Jesus, I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose to heaven so that I can go to heaven one day. Jesus, you love me. You care about me. If you've never done that before, I just want you to say, I believe. I believe. And if you've believed in Jesus for five seconds or 50 years, let's say, I believe together because we're gonna stand together on this. Say, I believe in a Jesus that cleared the temple for me. I believe in a Jesus who came to make all wrongs right. I believe in a Jesus who calls me a masterpiece, his most precious creation, a God that loves me. That's what it's about. And it's not magic. Just say, I believe. I believe. Now a word, I want a word for all the people who feel the weight of oppression right now all the people who are victims of injustice, all the people who feel chewed up and spit out by a system, this system that we're countering. And you might be sitting there going, yeah, this sounds good, John. I, I know you want me to protest, but I'm hurting. I've spent my whole life the victim of something, whether it's racial injustice and systemic racism, whether it's poverty and economic injustice, whether it's all other kinds of social injustice like human trafficking, and other things that we see every day, the wrongs in this world, if these wrongs are mounting on you and crushing you and hurting you and dealing with you, even wrongs like trauma that you might be dealing with, if this is you, I have, I have something I wanna share with you that comes from Jesus and it comes from Martin Luther King Jr. too. Hope. 
hold on to hope. Because when you lose hope and begin to, to embrace the despair, you go to darkness. See, we have to hold on to hope. We have to believe that the arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Because when you lose that hope, you lose the will, you lose the light, you lose the feeling that we can go on and do something better, and you stop. You stop and you let the system chew you up and spit you out. I know that it's hard. I know that it's difficult. And I know that there, there's, it's easy to be cynical and it's easy to see all the wrong, but I wanna say, hold on to hope. Hold on to the light because it will get better and we could make it better. So you remember, uh, you remember when I talked about that story around seeing on May 30th, seeing the destruction in San Antonio, seeing my city get looted and felt like get vandalized and destroyed and say, that's not us and it broke my heart. Well, on that same Facebook live feed, the person who was filming it, what he said was, come on down to the park at nine tomorrow and we're gonna clean up. We're gonna clean up what people have done. We're gonna clean up the graffiti. We're gonna clean up the shops. We're gonna help put these things back together. And so I showed up that day. I showed up that day a little bit before nine. And let me tell you, by about eight o'clock that morning, almost everything had been cleaned up because we showed up. San Antonio showed up. We did it. We came and it was all kinds of people for all different reasons. And we came and they boarded up windows. They swept glass. They helped restore a jewelry store and helped clean it all up. They helped clean graffiti. They helped do everything. And I went down there and at some point, I ran out of things to do, so I started a live video and we walked around the city, this big mob, this big group of people, not of destroying, but people cleaning things up, of making wrongs right. And we walked around and we made wrongs right in the city. It was one of the most powerful things that I've ever seen because that's who we are, San Antonio. That's who we are and that's who we can be when we fight injustice and we stand to make wrongs right. Man, the light is winning, guys. And one thing I said that day that I don't think I'll ever forget, there are more people than problems. There are more good people willing to do something about it than there are problems. And the light will always triumph over the darkness. You know, toward the end of my time there, I came upon a piece of graffiti that had been done the day before. And it struck me it struck me to the core because I saw it and I felt what it was trying to express and it said, burn it all down. That's what the graffiti said. It said, burn it all down. At City Church, we won't be people who burn it down. We will be people who build it up. That's what it means to make wrongs right. And that's who Jesus calls us to be. We love justice because Jesus loves justice and we will love and make wrongs right. We also, we can't be the people who sit by and do nothing. People, I'm calling you. People, listen, you gotta hear this. We can't be people that let the status quo just be the status quo. We can't let the systems of injustice and oppression chew up and spit out more of our brothers and sisters. We can't stand pat, but because when we do nothing, injustice wins. When we do nothing, these systems that we're opposing chew up and spit out more people. These systems that stand against what we believe, these systems that stand against dignity and equal 
and equal love and equal dignity for everyone because they're made in the image of God. When we do nothing, these systems continue to triumph. We can't be people who do nothing. We gotta stand up and find our way to protest, to make wrongs right, to bring justice to this world. And let me tell you folks, when we do that, and I saw a glimpse of it on May 31st, when we do that, we are unstoppable. The church cannot be stopped when we stand for justice. When what wrecks Jesus wrecks us, we win every time because the light always wins. It might not win today. You might not see it win tomorrow, but I promise you the light is winning right now. And Jesus asked us to stand up and rise up and be counted among the people who would bring justice, be counted among the people who would be courageous and brave enough to say, I'm gonna make these wrongs right. I'm gonna stand up for things that don't personally affect me and I'm gonna care about it because I love my brothers and sisters. And if we do that, whoo, we cannot be stopped. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are and all you've done, God. God, I pray that we take this opportunity to see the injustice in our world. Let it wreck us because it wrecks you and do something about it. But God, I pray for those of you who haven't believed. God, I pray for those of you, for those of us, God. We're all a family. We're all in together in this. I pray for those people who typed, I believe for the first time and who really, really meant it, who really got it. And I pray for all those people who, who typed or said, I believe for the 9,000th time, Father, you care and you love about them all, but we're all in this together, God. And I pray that you continue to reveal yourself to them in very specific ways, God, so that they know this is Jesus. Jesus is a part of my life, Father. God, I pray for everyone out there doing the best that they can to make the wrongs right in their life. And in the lives of others, God, give us courage, give us strength, give us perseverance, give us stamina to stand against the schemes of this system, God. Any, the system we oppose that brings injustice, that devalues people, that dehumanizes people. Let us not stop standing against it, Jesus, because you didn't and it cost you your life. It's typically not gonna cost us that, God, but give us that kind of courage. Give us that kind of courage to hang in there and to love others. In your name we pray, amen.